to you. I, I'm going to do my best to kind of keep this thing limited. I don't want to preach too long. I want the Lord to have his way. As you can see, I've got a little prop up here tonight. And we're going to get to that about halfway through uh, the message. But if you have your Bibles, you can remain seated. It's just one short verse, one passage of Scripture. It's found in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 7. And I'm sure in many of your Bibles, you will see that this is under a section or a segment that is phrased at the top of it, the obedient servant. Um, this is a prophetic chapter, a prophetic verse that's speaking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about the Messiah. And this verse in verse 7, just follow along with me. Again, it's just one short verse, and then we're going to pray. It says, The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I have not been humiliated. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. Some translations may say stone. And I know I will not be put to shame. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, once again we come. And Lord, right now we turn to your word. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, according to the book of Psalms. And God, it's by your word that we live. And Lord, we just pray that tonight your Holy Spirit would be in this place, that you would touch our hearts and our minds to receive and to put into effect that which you would have us to do. Lord, we just pray that people would be blessed and touched. Lord, we pray that the enemy, the devil, would have no place in here. We pray, God, that you would just set people free. God, that you would just see this church be about your business, be about the kingdom business. And we lift you up, Jesus, and we give you all praise and all thanks. And if you agree, say amen. 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 I don't know about you, but I'm amazed at people that have incredible focus, people that are able to just hone in on one or two tasks and do amazing things. Um, as I was preparing this, I kind of began to study out some people that have accomplished great things. And let me say this right out of the gate. You are not able to accomplish anything great unless you have incredible focus. And for most of us, for many of us, if frankly not all of us, focus is not necessarily a natural thing. It's something that we have to work at. Let me just throw out a few examples of people who out throughout history, and again, these are just a few. Maybe you know people personally that you would, you would want to put in this list or maybe others that you would want to add to, but let me just throw out a few names here. Um, Mozart, the great composer, who had incredible talent, in, incredible giftedness and ability, was able to hone in and focus his gifts and wrote his first symphony at age eight. James Madison, who was, uh, I believe, the fourth president of the United States, joined the Continental Congress at age 29, and he was the individual that they tasked with writing the Constitution, the Constitution which we live by. At age 29, he was a member of Congress. There's a guy by the name of Lawrence Bragg, who at the age of 25 had so dedicated himself to the sciences at age 25 had already leaped and bound in front of other scientists and uh, because of his study of x-rays at age 25 won the Nobel Prize. There was a famous French mathematician by the name of, and I think it's pronounced Blaise Pascal, who at age 19, now get this, in the year 1642, 
1642. He was 19 years old. He developed a type of handheld calculator. That's amazing to me. Um, even more recent, uh, one of the great Olympians by the name of Nadia uh, Komenichi scored the first ever perfect 10 at the 1976 Summer Olympics, and she was only 14 years old. 14 years old. I am amazed at the achievements and the accomplishments of people at such young age that are able to, to take their God-given abilities, take their God-given gifts, and hone in and focus in on things and, and take things to a whole nother level. And all of these people are very gifted and very talented in their own right. But the one thing that they had in common was that ability to focus, uh, to, to push aside all other distractions and push aside even those things that they want to do in and of themselves, other interests and fun things and on and on and on that vie for their attention. They are able to sacrifice it and discipline themselves to the point that they're able to hone in on those one or two things that they know will propel them forward in greatness. And by focus, I simply mean doing fewer things more effectively. To focus in on something does not mean that you are lazy. It does not mean that if you focus your attention and you are honing in on something that you work less. In fact, you probably work more just simply at one or two things. It, it does mean sacrifice of lesser things than what matters most to them. Am I making sense tonight? It means prioritizing what's important and sticking with that particular thing. And in the text tonight, I want you to get this. The Lord showed this to me. In the text tonight, the person being prophetically spoken of is the Messiah, the coming, the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that he was the one whose face is set like stone. He is the one whose face was set like a flint. Now, when you kind of study that out, it means that his countenance, if you, if you study that, it means that his countenance had an expressionless look on it. He was expressionless. He was stone cold in his resolve to do and accomplish the Father's will for his life. And it gives off this impression that while he obviously had emotion, while Jesus was full of passion, and the Bible says he was full of compassion, the Bible says that God is a God of love, that God is love. We know that God has emotion. When it came to his task, when it came to his mission, and it came to his purpose, the scripture declares that he was set like stone. He was set like a flint. In other words, he was emotionless in his resolve. He did not allow his emotion to dictate his willingness to follow through with the Father's plan with his coming to earth. Now, I could just stop and preach right here all night long. How so many of us allow emotion, how so many of us allow distraction to come and draw us away from the thing that God Almighty has called you to, ordained you to, expects of you in order to further his kingdom. But the scripture says, and thank God for it, that Jesus was stone cold in his resolve 
to accomplish the Father's will. Somebody give the Lord praise for that tonight. Who knows where we would be had he not. And again, this does not mean that Jesus was out without emotion. But he did not allow those earthly emotions to run his life. In fact, the scripture points out that in spite of the circumstances that would bring about great emotional pain, great emotional turmoil in his life, Jesus maintained a focus to the point that he endured according to verse 6, just the verse above that. It points out that he would endure humiliation and beatings and being spit upon the whippings, and ultimately the cross. And I don't know about you, but if somebody is doing those things to me, you better believe I'm going to be emotional about it. Come on. You better believe there's going to be all kinds of emotion, and frankly, for the most part, probably not good godly emotions on my behalf. Come on, somebody. But Jesus did not allow those circumstances, those painful things to distract him from his God-given purpose. And there's a lesson right there. He did not allow the pain and the agony of the things coming to distract him and draw him away from what his purpose and what his plan was. And as a result of his enduring, at the end of verse 7, it says this. Let me just read it. It says, The Lord God will help me, therefore I have not been humiliated. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be put to shame. Because of his resolve, Jesus could say at the end of that, prophetically speaking, that he would not be ashamed of his service unto the Lord. And it only happened because of his resolve. And can I tell you, the church needs some people that are so blood-bought and dedicated to the things of Jesus Christ that they will set themselves like a flint toward the things of God that one day whenever we stand before God, the Lord will look at us and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. Now I'm going to make you ruler over many things. God is looking for people that are full of resolve and dedication that are able to focus and hone in on their job and being here. Somebody say amen. In the, I'm going to amen myself if nobody amens me. Come on. And staying focused on completing God's will for your life pleases God. And it brings about honor in your life, but more importantly, it brings about honor in God's life. And it all happens in due time. But to not, the implication of the end of verse 7 there, the implication is, if you don't, what does it bring about? Shame. Shame. That's not my wording, that's the Lord's wording. When we don't focus and hone in on the godly things, the scriptural things, the plan and the purpose for the will of God in our lives, it will ultimately bring about a shame and a loss for the kingdom of God. I'm amazed at some of the things that people are dedicated to. You know, you know I just literally, I did a simple Google search and I, I simply, I think I typed in weird things that people are dedicated to. And believe it or not, you can find up all kinds of stuff. Some of you are to be careful of, let me just say. I'm not even kidding you there. You better filter it out. And, and these are some things that, let me just read off some of these. Some things that people have honed in and focused their lives. They have literally given their lives over to these things. They, they've just dedicated their lives to these things. Now hear this. There's a guy by the name of Brian Henderson who has made it his life's goal, his life's purpose to correct the spelling errors on Wikipedia entries. He 
He feels like that's why he's here. I'm not kidding you. There's a guy by the name of Brian Betts, get this, whose goal, how many of you ever seen the movie Speed come out, I think, in the mid-90s with Keanu Reeves? Some of you ladies like, yeah, Keanu Reeves. You know all about him. No, no. So you all know, raise your hand if you know about the movie Speed, okay? They've made like Speed 10 now or something like that. They've made a bunch of them since then. His goal is to own every single VHS copy of the movie Speed. He has roomfuls of VHS copies of the movie Speed. I don't know why. I mean, I don't know what it does for anybody. There's another guy, a Brazilian businessman, who is secretly buying up all of the world's vinyl records. When, when, when stores are selling, he's going in and, and secretly purchasing all the, I don't know why. I, I, don't, I don't know why they're doing this stuff. It's, it's not advancing anything except just looking like a Fruit Loop, honestly. I'm being for real. Now, now, now listen, these are extreme examples. And we laugh, but it brings about a good point. Heaven help us that at the end of the day, when it's just us and God, and the focus of the life and the gifts and the talents that God has given us has produced no more better external results or heavenly results than those examples. When someday when I stand before God, is God going to look at me and say, Josh, you've not produced anything more than what the guy that's bought up all the world's vinyl records. That does nothing for the cause of Christ. But if we can focus in on what is important and we can start honing our energy and honing our talent and honing our gifts and honing our abilities, we can bring about the, the glory of the kingdom of God. Lives will be changed. Souls will be saved. How many of you are on board with that? It's not that these people don't have focus. It's simply that they're focusing on the wrong stuff. And even though we make excuses, and I've done it too, as to why we lose focus on what matters most, the reality is we never really lose the ability to focus. It's all a matter on what we choose to focus. Did you all get that? It's not that we ever really lose focus. It's that we, 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 we choose to focus on things that really don't matter. And let me tell you something. Grace has always there to help the child of God on what matters the most. Grace is always there to pull us back in and rein us back in so that we can further the cause and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you something. This message that pastor preached this morning is all about building the kingdom of God and being discipled and taking the gospel out into the world. And in a broad sense, that's the job. I don't care what title, I don't care what giftedness, I don't care what anointing, I don't care what kind of position you find yourself in. In a broad sense, that is the job for everybody, not for my glory, but all for his. Come on, church. Now, let me just go through a few things very quickly. People say stuff like this. Well, Josh, there just isn't enough time. You know, I'm being pulled and I've got all this going on. There isn't enough time. Meaning... What they're trying to say by that is they're meaning that they're doing too much and they don't have time to focus on needed areas. That's what they mean by that. But I want to do a little bit of pushback. Doing too much is not a time problem. It's a distraction problem. It's a distraction problem. It might mean sacrificing some stuff. It might mean sacrificing, you know, some of the hobbies and some of the time on the... the you know, Facebook and Twitter. It might mean 
you know, sacrificing. Listen, there ain't nothing wrong with taking vacation and time for yourself every once in a while. But, but when those things have now become such a distraction that you no longer have time for the things that matter most, it's not a time problem, it's a distraction problem. Luke chapter 10, verses 41 through 42. Some of you know where I'm going with this. It's the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus' visit to them. And Martha is jealous and she's mad because uh, Mary is not helping around the house. There's too much to be done around here, Mary, for you to be in there talk with everybody. Get in here and do some dishes and pick up the trash and all that kind of stuff. You know, and she's mad and she's kind of going off and she actually, so much so, she actually goes and she complains directly to the guests. Now imagine that. Imagine that. You know, you got people over to your house and somebody in your, your family is mad at you because you're not helping out and they go straight to the... Can you believe this joker ain't in here helping me out? I mean, that's, that's basically what she did. And Jesus just kind of said, whoa, 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 whoa. He basically says this. He says, Martha, many things are making you anxious and troubled. In other words, you've got all kinds of distractions. You've got all kinds of stuff going on. But then he goes on and he says, Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken from her. She chose to focus in on what mattered most. That's not saying all that other stuff wasn't important in its own right. But we have got to focus and hone our lives in on what matters most. Come on, church. We've only got so many days that God has given each of us. He's also given us gifts and talents according to the grace that he's given us, according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 6. So each of us has a God-given supply of time and a God-given ability to reach our individual callings in our lives. God has graced you. He has equipped you. Everything you need to do it, he's given it to you. And we, we have to remain set like a stone, like a flint. We have to be ruthless in pressing toward the mark of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. We have to be ruthless in that. We have to shrug off things. We have to push aside things. We have to cast off weights and cares in order to focus in on these things that God has for us. Yes, we have time for what God wants me to do. And we will not be distracted by the cares and the wants and the worries of this life. Second thing is this. So time is a big thing. We're also conformed, now think about this, we're also conformed to the things that we like and that we admire. Yes? You agree with that? We, we, we spend our time and our energy and our focus on the things that we like and that we admire. Those are the things we want to become. That's where we, that's where we invest ourselves. Now, of course, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the famous scripture, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. We are conformed into what we admire. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 says this, Do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Talking about prior to the gospel. That time prior to your knowledge of the gospel. Peter goes on and says, do not be conformed to that filth. Don't be conformed to that nonsense. Don't, don't allow yourself to be dictated to and your life to be run by all these silly, pointless hobbies and all this kind of... Not that there's anything wrong with hobbies. Come on. Come on. But not if they're running your life. Now, if, you got, if you're collecting speed, you know, VHS cassette, well, you got, you got a problem. I'm just, you got a problem. Come on, somebody. Some of you say, well, bless God, I ain't coming back to this church. No. You understand what I'm saying? 
This speaks of our earthly passions. Now listen, I like passion. How many of you like passion? You like energy. You like drive. You, you, you like the, you know, the aggression of it. And I admire passionate people, people that are uh, you know, successful at things and they're passionate about it. But let me tell you this, passion rarely counts the cost. Hmm. Passionate people rarely count the cost of something, right? Passionate will jump on, they'll jump into things head over heels. They don't care. They're just, they don't even give things a second thought. And when it comes to time, and when it comes to the things that we want to be involved with, the things that we like and we admire, many times we just jump in head over heels. We don't count the cost, are you with me, of what it might pull from us, what it might do to our lives. Is this going to, I, I want to do this, I'm passionate about this, but is this going to take so much of me that I don't have time for what the Lord ultimately wants me to do? Am I making sense? When it comes to time, we invest in the things that we believe will help us become what we want to be. And so doing too many things, let me say this, doing too many things can be an indicator that worldly passions are growing and choking out our passion for God and His kingdom. It can be. I'm not saying it always is, but it can be. And any time investment that isn't conforming us in the image of Jesus is forming us into a worldly image. It means we have some laying aside to do. Y'all are quiet. Elbow your neighbor. Tell him to wake up. Pinch him if you have to. Now listen, transformation. Here's another thing. Transformation is a work of God, but it also happens through concentration. When I say concentration, I don't, I don't just mean, you know, really thinking hard about something, but I, I mean a concerted effort is what I'm getting at. So whatever you focus on, whatever you concentrate your life on generally succeeds. And you have to give focused time if you want to be transformed into something. And not long ago, some of you may, I brought this up here. This is where this comes into play. I remember watching television all four or five years ago. And, you know, it, it was the, the monthly uh, new rollout of the monthly exercise plan. You know, there's always these new exercise plans, the P90X and the P90 and the T25 and the T27 and the seven-minute abs and five-minute abs and the two-minute abs. And, you know, now they're just like, you know what, forget all that stuff. Just wear this crazy girdle thing we got. You'll look just as good anyway. You know, I mean, it's just all this craziness. You know, it's just, it's just every month there's just some nonsense coming out, you know. And one of them that I saw, I will never forget, and this just came to my mind as I was working on this. I don't know if you all can see this over here. But, but one of the programs that they were trying to, to sell to you was this whole idea that you would have these templates that you would put on a mirror. And the template was, was basically the, the form, the image, the, the way that you wanted to look. And so you'd kind of get these cutouts and you would take this big mirror. This mirror is actually way too small. You'd get this, this cutout and you would put it on a mirror and then they would tell you that you would come back so many feet, like you'd, you know, you'd measure back so many feet and you would stand there and you would look at yourself in the mirror. And, and what they were trying to say was is that these areas, <laughs> these areas that are either too skinny or kind of bulging out the side of the, you know, the, the uh, template, that's what you need to focus on. Am I making sense? And so you put this template on there and you would stand in front of this thing and you'd say, man, you're, you're kind of flabby here and you're kind of gooey here and kind of goopy here. Boy, I need to trim my beard, by the way. I just saw that. Anyway, so you'd have this template, you'd have this image up here 
And that's what you would, you would start working toward. You would see this image, but yet at the same time, you'd see your own image in there, and you would start focusing on these things. If you wanted bigger arms, you'd have this template up here that'd have bigger arms, and you would know that you'd keep pumping iron, and ultimately one day, days, weeks, years, whatever it is down the road, you would see your arms be the size that you wanted them to be. Now, that's crazy, and it probably worked to... to a certain degree, but here, here's what I'm trying to get is that most of us, the Bible says that we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Am I making sense? So that when I look in Scripture, there's all kinds of examples and a template in this book that says what we are to look like so that when we can put this image up here, well, now that's what Jesus is supposed to look like. And when I step in front of that thing, how am I measuring up? What do I need to do? What do I need to work on over here? And let me just tell you something. If you've ever done any kind of exercise routine, any kind of exercise regimen, you know it is a focused, concentrated effort to attain the look that you want to get. And the same is true in your walk with Christ. Am I making sense tonight? Any and all experience tells us that if we want to succeed at something, to be good at something, you have to concentrate on it. I, 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 you know, I don't know about you, but I am so tired. I, I am so sick and tired of this notion that goes on in the, in the Christian world today that it's just this, if you'll darken the door of the church and you'll half-heartedly be involved in a ministry, that somehow, some way, all of the goodness and the truth of the, of the Word of God will just by osmosis kind of seep into your being and you'll just kind of catch it like a cold or something and you'll begin to live. That ain't how it works, church. It has to be focused. There has to be some passion, but at the same time, you've got to be able to concentrate on it, focus that passion, count the cost, step up to the plate, and be the kind of person God wants you to be. Once focus becomes a part of your practice, it transforms you into something. It transforms you usually into something proficient. It transforms you into something excellent and capable. You show me people that have, have spent their life concentrated and focused on something, they will be outstanding at whatever it is that they focused on. Am I right? And can I tell you that God wants us, when he looks at us, he wants us to be so focused on the person of Jesus Christ and becoming everything that he wants us to be in him that we are proficient Christians. That we are outstanding Christians. I don't mean that arrogantly in the slightest form or fashion. It is all a work of the grace of God. But can I tell you, that's the level that God is trying to call his church up to you. So that whenever you look at that image, you see the energy, you see the payoff, you see the benefit of that struggle and that focus and that concentration. And all of a sudden, you resemble and look like Jesus Christ. Hmm. I'm trying to hurry. When it comes to being transformed into the likeness of Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, there are no shortcuts. No shortcuts. If there's one thing this generation believes in, it's shortcuts. They want shortcuts. Shortcuts into anything. When it comes to college classes, let's condense it down. You know, let's clip out of some of this stuff. Let's, let's, let's get the easiest teacher we can possibly get. I mean, and, and it's only human nature. You know, and that's in anything. It's only human nature to want to do the shortcuts. But a shortcut, it, it, although it's what everybody wants, shortcuts also take away the pain, but they also take away the glory. 
Come on. Shortcuts, they take away the effort, but they also cheapen the end product. Am I making sense? It robs you of the experience of getting where God wants you to go. And shortcuts will rob not just yourself, but it robs God of the glory. There are no shortcuts in the plan of God. So let me say this as it pertains to focus and where Jesus in the scripture, how he set himself like a flint, how he set himself like a stone. There are no shortcuts in any of this. You have to submit yourself to the plan, purpose, and will of God. Be willing to go through the struggle, but in the end, God will bring about something fantastic in each and every life. Transformation occurs through concentration. It's focus. Focus on Jesus. Focus on His Word. Focus in prayer. Focus on meditation. When I say meditation, some people misunderstand that. Are you, are you bringing in some kind of like Eastern mysticism? No, not at all. I'm simply talking about focusing on the goodness of God, thinking about and meditating on God's promises, meditating on His Word, reciting His Word, praying to the Lord, just you know, thinking of the goodness of God. That's what I mean. Those are the things that bring about and transform you into being what it is God's called you to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's a transformation process, but you have to submit to it, you have to be willing to go to it, and you have to focus on it. Amen? you got to focus on it. So, the next time, here's some food for thought. Next time you think or you feel like or you say you don't have time to focus on the things of God, simply ask yourself why. Why don't I? Why don't I? Why, what, what excuse am I coming up? Be honest with yourself. Before you take on another task, even things that can seem good, can, can sing godly before you take on another uh, job or a hobby or a duty, etc. on down the line at, at the expense of becoming all that Christ wants you to become, ask yourself why. How many of you parents would want your kids to do that? Man, that got quiet. No, not all of us would tell our children, no, pursue God, go after everything, you know, go hard. after." But when, it's almost like whenever we transition up, we were just like, well, now it's okay to make excuses. No, there's never an opportunity. Come on, church. You need to test everything in your life against what Christ wants you to become. I was reminded of a story I heard uh, several months ago in my college and career class that I teach on Wednesday night, and I got in a conversation with, uh, in fact, I think they told the whole, whole class this. I don't remember the exact context of it, but I remember them telling the story about a young man that both of them knew. Both of them, I guess, uh, went to school with him or something, and, and they were talking about this young man, Christian young man, who uh, felt a call into ministry, and they, they were not in any form or fashion, in the slightest form or fashion, making fun of him at all, but... What they were saying was, is they said, um, this young man was so, so intent. He was set like a flint. He was set like stone on wanting to serve the Lord and do everything right and fall in line with God that 
somebody, and this, this literally happened. This, this actually happened, what I'm about to ask you. He said, one night, he said, Josh, he said, one night, he said, I was with this guy. And some people came up to him, and they said, hey, man, we're going to go play some ball up at the church. Do you want to come with us? And he said, let me pray about it. Let me pray about it. Now, kind of what some of you did is exactly what I did. I was like, huh, that's kind of weird. And, and some people say, oh, he's, he's going to an extreme, but what he was trying to do, maybe he was being overzealous, but what he was trying to do was is he was trying to say, okay, if I do this, why should I do this? Why should I do this? Why now? What is it promising me? What is it going to accomplish for the kingdom of God? Is this experience going to hurt my primary call? Now, he didn't ask all these questions of these people, but that was the motivation behind that kind of question. And come to find out, that was years ago, and come to find out today this young man is involved in ministry and, and every church around is wanting this young man to do stuff because he is so sold out and dedicated to the cause of Christ that everywhere he goes, there's explosions happening and revival is happening. God is using him. Now, people say, oh, he was kind of extreme back then. What I say was, thank God for the seriousness of that young man. Thank God for that. Maybe he didn't need to go play ball that night. Maybe the Lord didn't want him to go. Or maybe the Lord said, oh, that's fine. I remember hearing one famous TV preacher. I can see his face right now, but I can't think of his name. He, he said that uh, the Lord corrected him because he was playing golf too much. He said, you need to give this up. He said, this is becoming an addiction for you. And so he quit playing golf. And he said, there was a time period that went by, and you know, months and months and months, and he said, I finally prayed one time. He said, Lord, is it okay if I go play golf today? And the Lord told him, he said, it's fine, go on. He said, I went and played golf, and he said, I had one of the best times in my life. Now, now some, let me just stop and say, some people might say, oh, you know, come on, you know, that, that's good. No, the, the Lord was doing something in his life to bring about a focus and a honing so that he wouldn't be distracted by the junk of the world and so that he could spend his time, his energy, and effort on stuff that mattered most. And God honored that. Come on, church. I pray that all of us would start praying those kinds of prayers. Ooh, that went over like a lead balloon right there. To really focus requires a constant practice. Think on that. You know, Olympians, they don't just decide one more. You know what? Summer Olympics is coming up in a couple months. I'm going to compete. No, I mean, they, you know, years of practice and honing in to press toward the prize. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 says this, But solid food is for the mature, but those whose senses, get this, those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. What the Lord is really trying to do, church, is, is, is mature, is mature the body of Christ before the last day outpouring. I really believe that. Um, I don't know how many we got in here tonight, 150, 60, 60 however many it is, it don't matter. But what if, like on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved, what would we do? those that are in here, what would we do? How would we handle that? How would we, as, as the church, how would we pastor that? Because I guarantee you, you can't all fall on this man. Are you hearing me? And God is looking for some people to get honed in and sold out and focus on the things that matter most so that when his church is ready, when they're solid, when they're mature, 
As that scripture talked about there, when they're mature, that they're able to distinguish between good and evil. Listen, for those people... For, for those people who have been in the church for a long time, you shouldn't have to run to this man and church leadership all the time. Well, is this good or bad? Now, the scripture points out if you're mature in the Lord, you'll be able to distinguish good or bad. You, you'll, you'll know it because your, your time with the Lord will have built up in you a, a, a sense of you know, confidence in the things of God. You'll know the voice of the Lord. You focused on the things of God and you're able to, you know, decide with the help of the Holy Ghost what is appropriate and what is not. Mm. If you'll stay focused over time, you'll grow and you'll mature in the Lord and the things of God and your senses will be sharp. Because I want to tell you something, it's not always obvious. The Bible points out that the devil comes as an angel of light. He's, he's, he's tricky, man. He's tricky. But when you have the Holy Spirit in you because you've spent time with the Lord and you've focused on the things of God, you'll be able to distinguish when maybe other people around you can't. And God is looking for people like that. Somebody say amen. amen. Now it's easy. Hey, get this. I'm about to bring it to a close. It's easy to say no to things that are potential distractions that we don't want to do. Right? To say no to things that we don't want to be distracted by. No, honey, I can't wash the dishes. This is my time with Jesus. I'm sorry, honey. I'll have to vacuum later. Or leave it for the kids, one of the two. It's harder to say no to things that we want to be distracted by. Cars, hobbies, clothes video games, internet, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, on and on and on. Those, those things that appeal to our nature, that the enemy can come along and he can dangle in front of you and, you know, you can just be, and you got to, ah, you know, you bring it back around and he'll just dangle and say, oh, and you go this way. The, the things that appeal to our nature. So the battle, get this, the battle is saying no to things that we want to be distracted by. The enemy wants to keep you occupied with worldly, sometimes silly, as we heard earlier. You know, the guy collecting speed VHS, you know, tapes. He'll, he'll, he'll want to keep you occupied with worldly things to keep you from the deep things of God. The devil knows that if he can distract you and keep you, your life all full of just turmoil and full of nonsense, that you won't have the energy to focus in on the deep things of God. The devil is scared to death of Christians that are full of the deep things of God. They are a danger to him. They worry him. They worry the demons. He does not want you to be focused in on the things of God because he knows if you really start walking that line and start pursuing it with passion, you've counted the cost that there's not much that's going to be able to hold you back for the cause of Christ. So he'll begin to attract you with one enticement and the next enticement with the hope of minimizing your impact on the kingdom of God. Here's the thing. You have to expect these things. We, we, by now, church, come on. We know this is the way life is, right? I mean, you know, the Bible points out in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 that we are not ignorant of his designs. There's really not much the devil can throw up to us that we, we hadn't really got his number on. I mean, we, we know, right? Come on. We know how the devil works. We know how he operates. We're not surprised. Oh, I didn't see that one. No, we, we really do know. 
But he knows us to the extent that he comes along and he will dangle just the right kind of distraction to the point that we say, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. I know this isn't real. It may not be real, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And we give in to that enticement at the expense of the kingdom of God. So like Jesus told Mary, only one thing is truly necessary. Amen? Only one thing is truly necessary. Finally, and in closing, I ask Pastor John, praise team, if they would come. You know, the scripture in a couple different places points out that the Lord wants you to lay aside all the hindrances. Lay aside all the hindrances so that you can run with a focused faith. That's, that's the thing that separates great athletes. That's the thing that separates unbelievably uh, successful people. And when whatever it is, athletics, business, marriages, come on, is, is when people are able to set themselves like a flint. It's not that they don't have emotion. It's not that they aren't human and, and have enticements and all this kind of stuff. But they are so, they are so sold out to the cause of Christ and to the things of Christ that they are not going to be distracted. They are not going to be distracted because too much is at stake. Families are at stake. Marriages are at stake. You know, ultimately souls are at stake. Children are at stake. I go down the I mean, there's too much at stake to... To, to be given over and listen, you, you say, well, Josh, are you harping on, on you know, against anything? No, I'm not. I am not. I'm simply saying we have to get reprioritized and focused. Why? Because I, I believe this. I really believe this, that, that once the church, the church gets itself to the point to where we can handle the load, God will send it in. He simply, why, how, you say, well, Josh, how can it? Well, I quoted the scripture earlier where the, the Lord said that he's given us every grace that we need. He's given us every grace that we need. He's just waiting for the church to step up and, and hone in and focus in. And then all of a sudden, God starts sending it in. He starts sending it in. I, I have... Ran a few races, not many, but I ran a few races in my life. I never set any land speed records, by the way. I never finished anywhere up toward the top, but I've ran enough to get a taste of what it's like, and I've ran enough of them to have a true appreciation for people that are so dedicated to the discipline and all that kind of stuff of, of runners and you know bicyclists and, and, and just I, I admire it. I, I can see, I understand the dedication that they have to go through. And I think I've even told this before, but it bears repeating again. Uh, I ran a um, uh, half marathon one time down in Little Rock, Arkansas. And some of you might remember I did that the next four or five days after that. I could not hardly walk. I am not, I, I'm not, that's no exaggeration. I come walking into the church one day and I thought John Sells was going to end up taking me to the hospital. I was gimping around so bad. He was kind of giggling at me and making fun of me a little bit. I'm telling you what, I hurt so bad. But, but I had a newfound appreciation through that of people that did that kind of stuff and they, they just, you know, they just focused in and they just honed in and they, they, they were able to, 
you know, discipline themselves. And, and let me say this, with the things that God wants to do in your life and through this, the existence of this church, it's not going to happen through your own self-discipline. Now, discipline plays a part. Come on, somebody. It plays a part. It does. But it's going to be by the grace of God. And as you submit yourself to the grace of God in those things, He'll begin to use you. And God is wanting you to hone in and focus in on that plan, that purpose, that call. You know, the, the call of this church, this particular body of believers, the broader body of believers worldwide. What is it that, that God has placed in your heart to hone in on and focus on? And the thing about these runners that would amaze me, I, I wouldn't do it. I, I value my money too much. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I was amazed. Uh, you, I, I mean, thousands. How many, anybody ever ran a marathon or half marathon? I know a few of you have. Anybody else? A couple... Couple, okay. Here's what's amazing to me. I could not believe it. You know, this is my first one. So we take off running literally thousands and thousands of people, and you just kind of, for the first, I'm not kidding you, the first, first mile, you're doing this because it's just, you're just crammed, you know. And all of a sudden, the fast people, they always put the fast people in the front, thank God. And, and they take off and leave the rest of us slow pokes and, you know, in the back. And we, the, it thins out as the miles go on. And I began to notice as we were running, there were clothes everywhere. Anybody ever been to one of these races like that? You know, there, there would be these sweaters and sweatshirts and Nike this and, and Under Armour that, and they would just be strewn all over the road. And the more that you'd run, you know, you just, and I'm running along and I'd be like, man, that's, that's you know, that's $50 for that goofy thing. I mean, you know, I was in amazement. I'm not even kidding you. I, the Lord helped me because I actually thought about snagging a couple of them. Finders keepers, baby. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, if they're dumb enough to just, but then, you know, conviction hits and they well, it'll be my luck. Some joker, well, wow, that's mine. And maybe, you know, my wife's going to pick, you know, anyway, I just, you know, you, you know what y'all do. And, but I mean, really, I'm like, this is amazing to me. You know, as the race went on, I caught on. I caught on. I wasn't, I wasn't dressed like some of them. I didn't have on like layer. It was cold, cold, and I wasn't dressed like some of them. And and I actually, I thought, man. <laughs> well, we no, no, we we want to go. I mean, I was ready to strip down. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking. I mean, you you are you you don't want anything touching you. You want to get rid of anything that weights you down. Are you hearing me? You want to get rid of any and every hindrance, anything that's slowing your progress. Why? Because you are so focused on trying to reach the end of this thing. In my case, just alive. You're trying to survive to the end of this joker. And I thought, Lord, you know, I'm fixing to take it off. You know, I mean, you get to that level of desperation. Hannah was telling me just the other day that some guy, now, now think on this. This is how uh, just, just focused they get on on shedding off just fractions and fractions of a second some of these high level athletes that some guy has now developed a uh, a water bottle for these bicyclists that's in the shape of a teardrop that you can attach to your bicycle and it's it's more aerodynamic and I don't tell what he'll charge for that thing it'll be some ridiculous price so that somebody can brag well I bought the new teardrop you know bicycle water bottle that's going to knock off one 
one millionth of a second of my overall time. But that's the, that's the level of absurdity that these people go to just to shed off a little bit of weight. And in the background, we say that's absurd, but at the same time, you have to admire their focus. Come on. And how many of us Christians would sit there and say, oh God, don't allow anything that's going to weight me down and keep me from crossing the finish line and running the race well. Am I making sense? It's time to begin to bring things into focus. I was thinking about binoculars. Here's the thing about binoculars, really. Binoculars are in focus all the time. It just depends on what you're looking at. All the time people are like, Oh, that's, that's out of focus. No, it's not. It may be out of focus for what you're looking at. It's in focus for something. Am I making sense? And here's what the Lord's wanting to do. The Lord is wanting to set His plan and His purpose for your life and for the church's life, the church's existence. He's wanting that to be your goal. He's wanting that to be the focus of your concentration and of your effort. And it might be something way off down the road, but that's okay. Get your binoculars. Get them set. Here's what's amazing. When you've got binoculars like this and, and, and they're up against your eyes, you don't really notice what all's going on around you. Am I making sense? I mean, I can't really see much on my peripheral. The devil could be throwing obstacles up in my path right now, and all I'm focused on right now is in back doors. I don't see what he's throwing up in front of me. I'm not paying attention to it. I'm not worried about distraction. I'm not worried about people bad-mouthing me. I'm not worried about people, you know, ripping on me. I'm not worried about people and, and problems and issues and weights and cares of life because my focus is on where it needs to be. Am I making sense? Am I making sense tonight, church? Because my focus is where it needs to be. And, 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 and the devil and hell and all his demons will begin to throw stuff up in your path. And let it rain. Let it rain, baby. Because as long as my attention and my focus is where it needs to be, I'm going to make it. Would you all stand? Father.